What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. How's everybody doing this morning? want to reiterate what Pastor Amy was always already saying and just welcome everybody, especially our guests that are with us today. And, uh, and you, get to, you get to jump in on a, in a great week. Today we are starting something called Hot Topics. Somebody say Hot Topics. Hot no, and that's not, you know, the, the store at the mall where you all do your shopping. That's a completely different one. Um, is it called Hot Topics? Yeah. It is. That was perfect. All right, anyway. Um, so from time to time, uh, we're going to dive in on what is a hot topic in culture and, uh, and spend, whether it's one week or maybe even sometimes we might spe- uh, spend a couple of weeks on these particular ta- uh, topics because it is so important for the church to realize that God actually has something to say about these type of things. And, uh, and so we treat, we're going to treat every single hot topic the way we treat everything when we preach and teach a convo church through the lens of a biblical worldview which means that the way that we see the world, the way that we form our, our beliefs, our convictions, our passions is going to be found on what God's word has to say about that. So God's word is our true north compass for our lives. Uh, but the reality is, let's get real. Unfortunately, too often we abandon God's word as our compass and authority and have chosen to believe, follow, and even champion secular worldviews crafted by the cultural might of those that lead the way in a godless society. And so uh, another really easy way to say that is sometimes we want to say, yeah, I follow God's word, I believe all that stuff, until something jumps out of scripture that completely contradicts something that may be involved in your life. And then we're, we're, at, we're, put, we're put at a crossroads, aren't we, to decide whether we're going to lean into the biblical worldview and surrender ourselves to the heart and the will of God, or I'd try to establish our own right and live according to what is comfortable to us. So, so one of my favorite things, this is what I'm doing, this sitting, I'm, I'm sitting today, okay? We'll see how long that lasts, but I'm sitting for now. Uh, one of my favorite things for real to do is to have the opportunity to sit down like in a coffee shop, one-on-one with somebody, eyeball to eyeball, and talk about the tough things in life and to bring God's truth and love, his mercy and his grace into those moments. Because sometimes things don't always come across, you know, from from a pulpit or a platform the way that they would individually. And we all know, we all know, can I get an advanced amen on this one? We all know that uh, those type of tough things do not come across the right way on social media. It doesn't matter how much you try to craft it, you fast and pray, it still ain't going to come across right because you can't hear heart and you can't hear tone and you can't hear, you can't hear the other person as well. So, uh, so since that's not possible, we're just going to pretend we're in a coffee shop today. We're going to dive into a hot topic. But before we announce that, let me, let me open up the Bible. and Let's give us uh, a scripture to kind of lay the foundation of, of what we hope to see God do today. I'm going to read from uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. I love, this, I love this passage right here. It says, And dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God for all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. 
Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by transforming the way that you think. That the way we think about things is so important. Then, check this out, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So today, the, the hot topic that we're going to tackle today is the topic of abortion. You, you guys ready to get into this? And uh, by the grace of God, we're going to do this the convo way, which means that we're going to inspire purpose. We're going to encourage life, and we're going to build faith in you through the conversation today. So before anybody runs for the door, or if you're listening to this later online, uh, before you hit end, uh, I'm going to encourage you to, to sit back, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. It's going to be great. Um, Open your hearts. We're going to open our Bibles as well uh, because here's something that we need to know about God. He is beautiful in everything that he does. He is good in all of his ways. And yes, God, God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And God is loving. And he is an, an amazing, amazing God. And so when we go into these type of things today, know that the grace of God is here for an incredible conversation. So here's a couple of foundational things that are important. What we will not do when we hit hot topics is we're not gonna embarrass people, we're not gonna shame people, uh, we're not gonna demonize people. The truth, truth is not about a shouting match. Uh, what we will do is we're gonna speak God's truth, we're gonna be confronted by his truth, even be offended by God's truth. Anyone here ever been offended by, by, by God's truth? I have, where I'm like, I, I don't like that. that, that offends me. He's like, well, what's she gonna do about it? Um, but we, well, we will challenge ourselves to surrender to God's ways because all of God's ways, as I said, are beautiful. And all of God's ways are higher than ours. The way that he thinks is beyond our understanding. And so we're going to choose to walk in faith and see what God will do today. Amen. Come on, let's pray to open this thing up. Father, we love you. We thank you in advance, Jesus, that you are not silent on the things that are difficult to even talk about in our culture. And that your word has truth. And that your truth leads us to freedom in life. And so we pray today, Father, that we would allow ourselves to take our, our thoughts, our experiences, uh, our preconceived ideas, no matter where they may fall, Lord, that we would surrender ourselves to what your word says today. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen. So, so God, here's kind of the tension to lead us into the conversation. So God is the author of life. He values life. Uh, consistently throughout scripture, God calls for justice on those who take innocent life. But human nature, that's you and me, by the way, Human nature has always valued freedom of personal choice over God's way of life. Now, here, here's something that is going to set the tone for today because this is not a political conversation. Um, I, I realize there are significant political implications in our world. I realize that. But this topic is so much bigger than politics. It's so much bigger than pop culture. Um, I, I'm, so I'm not asking you to look to the political right or to the political left. This is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to look up. I'm asking you to look up and see things from heaven's point of view. Uh, the goal is not to see politically, but to be like Jesus and see, see life how he sees life, how God values life and how Jesus valued life so much that he gave his life so that every other life could be saved. Um, so let's start with some definition, okay? We're gonna, 
Uh, this isn't only gonna be a biblical perspective. I've been in church my entire life. I think I've heard maybe two messages on this and they were probably over 20 plus years ago. And it was always only from a biblical point of view. And you're like, well, shouldn't it be that way? Yes, it should. But here's the thing. This is what I love about our church is I realize we are always going to have people in our church who are coming from different walks of life, different stages in their journey. People who were here that you're like, I'm not sure if I'm about this Christian thing yet to those who maybe you were born into it, literally. And, uh, and so we wanna, we wanna, we're gonna hit this topic from a philosophical standpoint, a scientific standpoint, and then we're gonna finish with the word. Is that okay? All right, so let's start off with definition. Words have meaning. That's very important. It's, it's important that we all be on the same page. So what are we talking about when we use the term abortion? The Oxford Dictionary says that uh, abortion is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. Here's two other words that we need to define, pro-life and pro-choice. Pro-life is pro-baby, life begins at conception, and a human baby has a right to life. Uh, Pro-choice is uh, pro-abortion, varies in beliefs of when life starts, uh, values personal choice over human life. I realize all those definitions are very compact and simplistic, uh, but this, this is just trying to give us the base from where we will continue to head. When we talk about the term abortion, and, and don't worry, we're not gonna put up graphic images and videos and, and try to be sensationalistic about it, but we, but we will talk about what it really means because in my conversations I've had with people, not everybody who would find themselves what they would call pro-choice fully even understands the different ways in which uh, abortions are enacted. And so there's three primary medical procedures used to perform an abortion depending on the trimester that a pregnant woman is in. The first trimester, which in a pregnancy goes up to 12 weeks, the method of abortion is called vacuum aspiration. And this is where a very strong suction hose is inserted into the mother's dilated uterus and forcefully suctions out uh, the baby piece by piece, killing the baby in the process. Uh, the CDC estimates that 66% of abortions take place within the first eight weeks. But interestingly, most women don't even realize they are potentially pregnant until five to eight weeks. Uh, but by five weeks, there's already a detectable heartbeat, an individual heartbeat that is pumping life-giving blood through the developing baby. Uh, by eight weeks, there's already a clear head, neck, eyes, nose, arms, legs, fingers, intestines are beginning to form. Nerves are connecting, meaning that the baby is beginning to have feeling in their body. Uh, the second trimester, which, you know, I know this is common for some people, but it goes from 13 weeks to 26 weeks. And the method of uh, abortion during this trimester is called dilation and evacuation. This is when a mother's uterus is dilated and the doctor uses forceps to grab and twist and remove the baby uh, from, the womb, from the womb, literally uh, limb by limb and piece by piece. And the reality of that is very graphic. Uh, it's very horrific. And 92% of abortions are performed in the first 13 weeks. But by 13 weeks, some mothers can actually already begin to feel the baby moving inside. A baby can now at this stage suck their thumb. Their gender is fully identifiable. They can swallow, they can produce urine, they can feel and have intelligent reaction to stimuli. Uh, the third trimester goes from 27 weeks until 40 weeks or until born at that particular stage, some sooner, some later. Um, the method of abortion in this trimester, which the percentages are much lower, but it's called dilation and extraction. Uh, it's good to note that at 27 weeks, 90% of babies born at the very beginning of that trimester, 90% um, will, will thrive. Um, they, will, they will make it, they will make it just fine. Um, but in this particular process, a lethal injection 
is used to, to kill the baby, literally using a needle through the mother into the womb, into the baby. And then the mother is given another drug to expel the dead baby. I think it's interesting to point out from a, just from a philosophical argument that in order for something to be killed, it had to first be alive. Um, if that doesn't work, then the doctor goes and uses the same method as the second trimester with the forceps, um, removing the, the, the killed baby piece by piece. So, so, okay, so abortion, why is it such a controversial topic? And I think the, the, the reasonable answer to that is because of what's at stake. Um, this entire topic really does boil down to, to one question. Is, uh, is what's growing in the mother, and, and to use a pro-abortion verbiage, the thing, the clump of cells, the fetus, is it an actual human being? Um, it's not about rationalizing scenarios or situations or preferences or choices or even potential later hardships in life that may or may not happen. Um, if, the human, if, if it's a human baby, then abortion is killing an innocent human person, which is called murder. Um, if it's not a human, then there's no problem. And, and we're going to tackle that particular question. So abortion is either the killing of an innocent human person or it's not. It doesn't hinge on choice, but the topic actually hinges on, on life. So let's talk about what is, is the unborn. One side says the unborn is, is a human from conception. Uh, the pro-abortion says, no, it's not. And, and on this side, there are uh, literally innumerable definitions of, uh, of when the unborn becomes a human life at a certain number of weeks, trimesters, levels of development, or even up to birth. Uh, and, I, and I know we hear some people saying even afterwards, but I'm not even going to factor that into the conversation. I feel like that is real, but it's such an extreme fringe that it doesn't accurately weigh on the main, the main uh, conversation. Um, if, you, if you went to a, a pro-choice event, people who would be interviewed on when life actually begins um, would give you a variety of answers. There's, you're not going to get a general consensus. If you go to a, a pro-life event, the, the vast consensus that you will get is that life begins at uh, conception. Um, I, I have personally talked to people who say they're not pro-abortion, but they're pro-choice. And, and, and I do want to address that because if you are, it's kind of cause and effect. If you're, if you're for the cause, then ultimately you are for what the effect of that cause is. And on this particular topic, there's not a whole lot of variable options. There's the life option or there's uh, taking the life option. And so the cause and effect in that mentality becomes very, very small. You can't think of like a thousand different scenarios. Um, and so, so let's, let's go philosophical for a moment. Let's kind of go up to that 40,000 foot view and, and do something that might seem um, a little obvious, but it's gonna, it's gonna paint a, a theme and a picture of where we're going. So let's go ahead and put up this this next one here. Um, who can tell me what this is? That's, that's an apple. Why is that an apple? I mean, some of y'all are going to get deep, but I'm going to get way less. Because we know what an apple is. Right? And it's not, it's not because we, we took it and we, we, you know, ground it down and did a, a metabolic survey and looking at where. No, like we know what an apple is. I'm not going to look at you and tell you that, no, you don't know what an apple is. No, we know what an apple is. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of certainty. And we can all be really certain that we know what an apple is, which kind of leads to our second train of thought. We really know what some things are. Like, we really do. Like, it's some, some things that we know what they are. It's not a matter of having to convince or prove. It's just, yeah, we know what certain things are. And because we know what uh, some things really are, we really know what human beings are. Really do. 
Like if we're honest, we know what we know ourselves a whole lot more than we know apples. And if we're certain about knowing what an apple is and we're certain that we know what some things are, we can definitely be certain that we know what human beings are. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that you have human rights? I, I promise I'm not gonna be throwing any trick questions out there. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't know, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's kind of like recently somebody was interviewed in front of a, a, a Senate committee panel and, uh, would, and they said like, would you kill somebody who's 10 years old? And the person was so concerned, they were like, I, they didn't know how to answer. I'm like, this is not a trick question. <laughs> <clears throat> the answer is no. <laughs> um, we really know what human beings are, and yes, we have human rights, which leads to this next one. We have human rights. They're not just rights, they're human rights because we are human beings. Like, that's, that's why it connects. Now, the next question should be in this train of thought is, is, is why? Why do we have certain human rights? Now, this is where we're gonna start breaking things down a little bit because rights are based on moral reality. Notice, guys, we have not brought scripture into this yet. We're not even talking about religion. Rights are based on moral reality, not based on fantasy, not based on relativism about what we hope they could be or might be. It's based on metaphysics. Metaphysics is the science of existence, of what actually is. So our rights and our wrongs are based on what is. Our, our, uh, someone, cannot, someone cannot break into my house and say that they claim that that is their house and that from henceforward, this will be their home. That is not reality, and they will face justice, maybe sooner than they want to. <laughs> my house is not their house, because why? That, it's based on reality. I purchased that home, that's my home. You're like, well, to me, I think this is my home. It's not gonna happen, that's not gonna happen. Adults cannot sexually interact with minors. It's wrong because adults are not children. It's called pedophilia. I don't care if there is a fringe movement that wants to introduce a new born identity, which is called MAPS, minor attracted, attracted people. No, it's perverse, it's evil, it's not reality. So rights depend on reality. Like this, this is a big deal, not even just on this topic. This is a very, very big deal. Morality is based on what is. Not on what we want it to be, not on what we can fantasize about or imagine reality to be. When we, when we begin to fringe on that, on that realm of like, well, you know, I kind of feel like it's this, I feel like it's that. That's called moral relativism, which is not just dangerous in a, in a faith-based reality. It's dangerous even outside of that realm in a, in, a, in a civilization, in a healthy society. Because if somebody is able to have a blank check on what they want to define as how they want to define it, then everything else is out the window. Think about that. Okay, the reality of something determines what is right or wrong. That leads us to our next train of thought. The only alternative to rights based on reality, listen, is rights based on might or power. Um, either right makes right or might makes right. Um, fo follow along with me. So, so might, like, you know, figuring out what is right based on who's the strongest, based on who's in charge and who sets the rules. Might is the method and strategy of a very progressive movement. And I don't even mean that in a modern sense, that's always been the case. You can look back over, over history, um, you see that um, like chattel slavery, that was, a, that was right because those who were in charge created a reality that said at that time in history it was right. Do we know that it was wrong? Yes. Were there people that even used scripture during that time in history to justify it? Yeah, that's jacked up. But it was wrong. Why? Because it wasn't based on reality. 
Um, that's where you get, uh, his, you know, in the history books, we get leaders like Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. We get movements like communism, uh, which, which is evil, by the way. Um, socialism, not good. Uh, don't let somebody put lipstick on the pig and call it democratic socialism. It's still bad. It's still destructive. Um, taking, this is, so it's basically taking military, political, or even media might and power to take reality and twist it into what we want it to be which kind of leaves us with two options. Either we accept actual reality or we use might to create our own reality by rejecting what is and imposing a false reality by force, okay? Are y'all following so far? All right, so here's the next train of thought kind of in that same line. So either all humans have rights or only some humans have rights. Again, we're not even in scripture yet. We're not even, you know, I'm not even giving you Jesus arguments. This is just, using philosophical train of thought to create a basis. Either all humans have rights or only some humans have rights. Our human rights are either inalienable, which means that they naturally exist in us because of our humanity, or they only exist when given by those with power who choose who gets the, the rights. Does that make sense? So, so whether we choose to recognize them or not, the inalienable right to life is a reality based on our humanity. It's not based on others choosing what human gets the right to life and what humans do not get the right to right, uh, who do not get the right to life. Um, this is even where Thomas Jefferson began the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all, all man, all humanity, all mankind is created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. The first one, the right to life. Amen. So interesting, even though we, um, even though this is, this is important to know, even those who, who wrote that, even though they personally didn't all actually follow the truth of the reality statement, that statement still over time has won out. It's like, you know, we got the constitution, we got freedom for all, all men are created and equal, well, we still got slavery. Well, that's a contradiction. But guess what, guess what has changed over time? Right has stood the test of time and even when people had misconstrued and not handled authority well, when, when things are aligned the way that God designs them, eventually God's way will come into be. Yes. And that, that's important to know. And there's still more that hasn't happened yet that still needs to come into alignment. It's not there yet. Uh, but that, that truth continues to stand. So that goes to our next point, number eight. Um, rights do not come from society, but from something above society. If, the, if, the, if rights come from government, then government replaces God and becomes its own religion, which I actually believe is happening. Um, government, guys, government can't even balance a checkbook. For, seriously. Like, I don't care what party it is. It's like, who cares? Control P. We need more money. Um, government can't even balance a budget. You want them to take God's position in our life? I don't think so. Government becomes the source of might that enforces its ever-changing view of reality. And right comes from God's moral order. And here's the cool thing. It has purpose. God never sets things in motion because he's like, well, just because that's how I want it. So deal with it because I'm God and I'm right. No, he has a purpose in all the things that he does. Amen. And so now we kind of kind of boil it down to some of the logical conclusions in this train of thought. So number nine, so abortion is wrong because the golden rule is right. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's, that's the golden rule. Is this scriptural? Yes. Does everybody believe scripture? No. But it's also a universally accepted philosophy in every healthy society in history. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. 
Like we, we would all be like, yeah, we treat people the way that you want to be treated. Um, this is the basis for all rational, ethical justice throughout history. And because of this reality, everyone has an equal right to justice. Right now we hear it all the time, justice, justice, and everyone's got their own idea and their own picture of what they think it is. But at the end of the day, God is the one who is the author of justice. Like God is a, before, listen, before God is love, God is just. Like you need to understand that. Like there's only very few times where it says God is love. And is he love? Yes, absolutely. But there are thousands of accounts throughout scripture where it says God is holy. He is holy. The angels in heaven aren't circling the throne saying love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They're saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And a holy God is always going to be a God who is righteous, which means what he does is right, and who is just, which means that everything he does is just and justice will be held to those who do not hold what God says is righteous. So we got to treat people the way that we want to be treated. So if the golden rule is right, then abortion is wrong because you don't want anybody to take your innocent life. Therefore, we should not take anyone else's innocent life, which leads to this last point of conclusion in the, in the philosophical realm that says all humans are persons. And this is kind of really a big deal in this argument. All humans are persons. And so to ignore this point is the basis for moral relativism. That's when we begin to be like, well, I don't think a baby is a person. I don't think a, and, and in the argument, like in the extreme argument, that's why there's such a, a focus on using the term fetus or a clump of cells because it, I'm getting ahead of myself, it dehumanizes uh, the life that is there. And, uh, and we, we don't wanna do that. So all, all humans are persons. Um, and many people say, uh, and I've heard this all the time, you cannot legislate morality, um, but I completely disagree. Every single piece of societal legislation is moral because it has to be based on what is right and what is wrong. And when you get a government that begins to legislate without that consideration, you have an immoral government that begins to establish itself as right based on its might. And they begin to create a, rea a reality in their society that is not dependent on what is, but it depends on what they say it is. And, uh, and so I, a bunch of movie quotes just popped up in my head. I don't have time for that. Anyway, um, but guys, we, we've seen throughout, throughout human history in so many different ways and places that if we depersonalize a person or a people group, then we can justify unspeakable acts. Um, you know, and then there, are, there are many, but some of the big ones in my job jump out is World War II, Hitler, Nazi Germany. Um, they were able to depersonalize Jews, and, and, and through that, they were able to create a new reality in their, in, in their, in their nation that, that justified the killing of millions and millions and millions of Jews, um, as, well as, as well as others. Um, slave owners depersonalized Africans, and were able to say, well, they're not really a person, so I can justify owning this other, other what? Person. No, it's wrong. Stop it. Um, and this is what, this is what the pro-abortion movement has done uh, primarily in the last 49 years. If we can depersonalize a preborn baby using terms like clump of cells, fetus, and more, then we can champion a, a, a real person's personal choice to abort without, um, without thinking about an innocent human life being taken. Uh, so that, that's the philosophical realm. Hopefully that brings us to a place where we, re we realize that the, the life that is inside of, of the mother actually has the same rights as the person who is carrying. And I would also bring the, the, the male into the equation because more times than not, we have men who 
uh, want to live however they want to live. And when something pops up that messes up how they want to live, they become the, the force behind convincing um, the person they got pregnant to get rid of it. And men have to be held accountable um, on this topic very much. And, uh, and I, to a point where I almost need to kind of temper myself on that topic. All right, so that's philosophy. Let's hit science, okay? Maybe you're like Nacho Libre's uh, co-partner. Uh, you believe in science, and that's good. Because here's the truthful thing is that truthful science will actually always point you back to God. That's not some like ignorant religious thing where like God made science, so has to believe it. No, like I believe, like you'll see this in the testimony of so many scientists throughout history who started off as atheist or agnostic, but they were committed to truthful science and, and they didn't stop and they get to a point where they realize, oh no, it has led me to the place where I said didn't exist, and, but the evidence has led me here. I don't know what to do with that. Um, so, so science conclusively says that life is, is, is centered around the topic of the embryo. Um, in the scientific publication, it's called The Developing Human Clinically Oriented Embryology. Uh, Keith Moore and TV and Persuad say this, human development begins at fertilization when a male sperm unites with a female oocyte to form a human zygote. This highly specialized cell marked the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. All right, so think about this. This means that you did not come from an embryo. It means that you were an embryo. It means that that was the very first stage of development, and development doesn't stop just when you're an embryo. It develops all throughout the pregnancy. And guess what? We don't stop developing after the pregnancy, after we're born, do we? So it, it's, it's not the unhuman version of what would eventually become a human. An embryo is the first stage of the human. So here, here's another one. What is the definitive proof that you are, um, that you are a person? Like if... if uh, if someone couldn't find you or somebody was claiming to be you and you had to somehow prove it and had no other way to do it, scientifically, you can prove yourself through DNA. No one will ever have your specific DNA signature. Your DNA is what defines you scientifically as the human being that you are. So when does it, DNA take shape? When the male sperm and the female oocyte unite to form a new human life and that new individual has become an embryo. So some may say, well, you know, it's not fully human because of its, it's not fully developed yet. But I would say, and kind of, kind of counterpoint, uh, premature babies all, are born all the time, not fully developed, and, and, and end up developing. Or even if they don't fully develop in certain areas, they live full lives, and, and, and everything works out fantastically. I'd also throw this out there, too, that even the male human brain, the frontal cortex, does not fully develop until we're 25 years old, which, ladies, answers a whole lot of questions. <laughs> Like, they're, why? Like, well, how old are they? 19, 20, 21, that's why. What about after 25? Well, we don't know, it's just. So, so here's the thing, like development does not define your humanity, our DNA does. So, so about the embryo, number one, an embryo is distinct, meaning that it's different and unique from every other cell of its parents, which by definition means that the embryo once fertilized is no longer a part of the mother's body, but is a separate, distinct living human developing within the safety of the mother's body. This is, this is a very important choice. My body, my choice. Okay, so let's, let's get, this is not to be uh, harsh or crass. This is just to kind of paint that logical picture. 99%, and we say 99% uh, because 1% is, the, is, is the, the percentage of people who, are, who have abortions because of uh, rape or incest. And it's worthy of conversation, but again, we're, we're gonna get to this point here. 
99% of the time, a choice was made with your body to create a pregnancy. So um, now there's another person within the mother, carried by the mother, but is separate from the mother's body. So, so honestly, I'm not advocating to remove choice. What I'm advocating is to move choice to a different stage in the decision-making process where, where you cannot possibly develop a pregnancy that you don't want. Um, an embryo is living, meaning that it, it exists uh, it exhibits um, irritability, it metabolizes, it grows. The argument that an embryo and a baby at any stage is not a living human is scientifically irrational. Dead things don't grow. An embryo is human, meaning that it comes from a human and is genetic, its genetic constitution is human. If someone is pregnant, there's no chance of them giving birth to a, a dog. Like it's only ever going to develop into a human. <clears throat> Some of this to me, like in my mind, it sounds basic, but it's so important for us to kind of rally, like, get to the scripture. We'll get, we'll get there. Calm down. Pump the brakes. Um, an embryo is whole, meaning that from the moment of conception, it is on a growth trajectory of development that only needs time and protection and doesn't stop at birth but continues through life. We call a single-cell microorganism on Mars life, but an embryo on Earth is not given the same status. We need to think about that. So we talked about philosophy. Uh, we've talked about science. This is, what, this is what God has to say about this. And guys, please, this is gonna be a single message. This is not an exhaustive study. This is not an exhaustive breakdown of this entire topic. There are many more nuances that I know we could get into, but I'm trying to build this initial framework to help us see life where we need to see life, where God sees life, and, and be able to begin to challenge our thinking or even encourage us into healthy conversation with people who may be wrestling with the same thing. So here's the first thing. I know, first of all, I get this. Well, abortion, God doesn't talk about abortion because the word abortion is not in the Bible. Well, there's lots of individual words that are not in the Bible that the Bible still talks about. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the theme throughout all of Scripture still paints the reality of the Trinity of God. Um, and so the word abortion, even though, and again, please remember, the Bible was not written in English. It was originally written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And so when we read it in English, it's from a scholarly, a literal uh, translation of original text so that we can read it. Because I don't know about you, I'm not fluent in Hebrew quite yet. Okay. Um, here's the first thing. Um, God says humans have intrinsic and unique value because they alone are made in the image of God. Um, there, there's probably, there's going to be more scriptures up there than what we actually read. But here's a couple of them. Genesis 126 God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Humanity is the only part of God's creation that carries God's likeness. So it's not like, oh, I see God in the trees. Well, you see his, you see his, his creative ability in the trees, but that's not his image. That's right. I see God, you know, it's like, okay, stop it. Anyway, um, I don't know if this one's up there or not. That's okay. I wanted to make sure the youth was in there. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. The psalmist prophetically says this, you were for you formed my inward parts. You knit me, knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah 1.5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's such a powerful, like it's just like poetic. No, it's not. It, it's, it, it's, a, it's a literal understanding of how God brings us into being. Like he knows you before um, the people who creates you actually know you. And he knows your name. He knows your purpose. 
The second one, God forbids killing innocent humans. This isn't necessarily rocket science, but it still needs to be said. If, we, if we're going to understand when life begins and where life comes from, because that is the argument that everything hinges on, then we have to understand how God feels about killing innocent humans. Ten Commandments. Well, that's Old Testament. It's still not okay to kill people today. Like, it's still, you, can't, you still can't. Well, I can kill innocent people. It's not the Old Testament. No, no, you can't. Lots of universal laws that are going to take your life or throw you in jail for life if you do that. Um, Exodus 23, 11, uh, do not kill the innocent and the righteous for I will not justify the wicked. Other scriptures in there. Um, number three, Jesus and John the Baptist were human from the moment of conception. Luke chapter one. It says, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born. It was already a baby, wasn't born yet, but he was a baby to be born, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a what? A son. She has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. So, Already identity, already purpose, already connection. Uh, your body, here, and this is a big one. This is so important. Your body belongs to God. God created your body, and while you do have free will to make choices, we are never free to kill an innocent life, and there are clear consequences when we use our bodies to do things that dishonors God's design. Uh, right now, one of the biggest travesties when we look at the medical community in our world is that we're not, humanity is not trying to change our disease-producing lifestyles. We're just trying to create th pills that we can take and shots that we can get so that we can continue our, our degeneration of humanity versus actually addressing the things in our life that are producing these things that are destroying life. Um, that's just a side one. Pro-abortion as a movement isn't actually about freedom of choice. By and large, it's about freedom of consequence of choices already made. So here's, here's just a couple of really, so hear my heart. Here's a couple of tough statements, but we need to hear this. You're, you are not being condemned right now if this is confronting you, but you are being brought to a place where God wants you to know he loves you and he wants to bring you to a place of freedom. Um, the choice to have sex when you aren't ready to have, when you're not ready for a child or you don't wanna make a baby with the person that you're having sex with, that is, that's about consequence. That's not about choice. Um, you, someone is making the choice to have sex when you can't afford to take care of a child. Uh, the choice to take advantage, and this is for men, the choice to take advantage of a woman and then abuse and manipulate her to make her make a decision she doesn't want to make in the first place. Like these, are, these are choices that are being believed in that are pro-consequence. They're not about um, actual pro-choice. First um, Corinthians chapter six, a couple more here and then we'll wrap this up. First Corinthians chapter six. Um, and I'm gonna read just kind of a, a portion of that. It says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. So you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with the high price, which was the blood of Christ on the cross. So you must honor God with your body. Romans chapter six, do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil and serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but you now have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Listen to this, sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. First Peter 2, 16, it says, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Galatians 5, 16 says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. 
Listen, there, there's more on here too that I could get into that it wasn't just scriptural and then it was a silent issue throughout history and then since 1973, it's become an issue again. No, the church has faithfully and consistently from day one throughout church history until today has been consistent on this topic that, that God is a God of life, that the human uh, baby before being born is an innocent human life and should be cared for and, and whose life cannot be taken. And I don't have time to give all those quotes. Probably over the next few weeks, maybe even a few months on our church's social media account, we'll put more um, bits of information out there. Again, none of it will be from a shaming standpoint or, or yeah, re repost this and smack somebody in the face that disagrees with you, no. But we're gonna continue to put truth forward um, because truth is what brings us to a place of confrontation. Yeah. And, and not with other people, but confrontation within ourselves so that we can ask ourselves a question, okay, God, am I actually going to allow myself to, to be all in with what you're saying? Or am I gonna to continue to go with what culture tells me um, is, is the new right? Because um, abortion is not just an issue since 1973. It's, it's been a, the life of, of a baby has been a problem um, since all humanity. And so this isn't just a new thing. So here's some conclusions that we're, that we're bringing to today. And, uh, and then that I, hope, I hope you can come to these conclusions with me. Today we've established from a, civil, a philosophical, a scientific, and a biblical point that life begins at conception. And, and at that point, a new human life receives certain human rights. And taking the innocent human life violates the basic of all human rights, which is, which is the right to life. And it's important to be said, and this does have the political implications right now, that a government's responsibility is to protect the most fundamental of human rights to all humans through the laws of the land. And so when there are laws in the land that are unjust and that do not protect those basic human rights, then it's the voice of the people that has to speak up so that the government can change and come into alignment with what is just and not what is manipulative so that they can twist reality to be what they want it to be. Um, here's another conclusion, because a, a separate unique human life begins a conception, there, there is no what if that justifies the taking of, humus and, of a human innocent life. Um, no scenarios, no economic impact, with the exception of a situation where a mother is, is uh, dying in, in labor, in childbirth. And I know even some people would go as far as be like, nope, not even then, you just gotta take your chances. But here's, here's my thought. Every, if every means of saving both lives has, have been exhausted and the mother is in imminent mortal danger, this is like a real-time moment decision, then the mother's life must be saved because she's the one who carries the ability to produce more life and her life must be saved. But that doesn't factor into any other stage of a pregnancy whatsoever. Um, here, we, don't de we do not, please hear this, because I, what, I, what I do see from people who would be uh, pro-life on social media isn't always encouraging to me. Uh, sometimes it frustrates the mess out of me. Um, we do not demonize women who have had abortions. Um, absolutely not. It's never acceptable. Doesn't matter what the topic is. Wherever somebody may fall into a, a situation or a lifestyle, uh, we gotta realize there's been three and a half or so generations of people who have been raised in a reality and through the educational system and through culture and through, through silent churches have not been discipled in some of these things we are talking about today. And honestly, I think the church hasn't talked about it in, in some part, portions of history because we just assume that people, well, of course, of course everyone thinks that. You know, no, they don't because the world has been very, very, very successfully discipling people. 
And the church has to learn how to become better at discipling people and these type of things. Um, so what do we do? We don't demonize um, women who have had abortions. What do we do? Well, we love them and we encourage and we come alongside them and we support and give them resources and give them relationship uh, that leads them to a place of healing and better understanding uh, of how to move forward and even understanding just the reality of life choices. Um, we, we can't assume, because there have been so many people, probably the vast majority of people, who have even been raised in family situations where these type of things just aren't a big deal. It's just what you got to do. And, um, and it, it's time for us to help people understand the value of, of life. Um, the reality is, though, is that um, the kingdom of darkness, because this isn't just a surface human, human issue, it's also a spiritual issue. Uh, very much so, the kingdom of darkness has celebrated over 63 million um, innocent lives being, being killed through abortion just since 1973. And abortion is absolutely connected to a demonic spirit of death. And, and we have to combat that as well. All throughout history, demonic cultures have promoted abortion, child sacrifice, and sexual deviance. And we begin to see that in our nation as well. It just gets branded a lot better now than it has in the past. Um, we, we passionately, and just as our church stands, um, we passionately support the full legal banning of all abortions. Um, why? Because we've conclusively determined through reason and science and scripture that life begins at conception and every single human life deserves the right to life and nobody has the right to take an innocent life. Okay, so here's the last thing. Y'all still with me? So here, here's, here's what we do now. Are you like, okay, what do we do? We turn to God, all of us. Doesn't matter where you were on this conversation coming into this, we still all turn to God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We've all had wicked ways. So this isn't like, well, we're over here. And, oh, those wicked way people. Nope, this is all of us. Turn from our wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Secondly, we let Jesus do what he does. Jesus is so faithful to forgive and to heal and restore and make all things new. Listen, if you've, if you, if you've had an abortion and, and, and you need to know that you are loved unconditionally, you gotta know, God is not up in heaven with his arms folded, looking at you side eye, mad at you and just ready to just enact vengeance upon you. No, his heart breaks because he, no one else may know the circumstances, but he, he does and he did. And he loves you unconditionally. You know what he wants to do? He doesn't want to punish you. He wants to wrap his arms around you. And he wants to love you. And he wants to bring you in and let you know, hey, what, just like anything in life, your past does not define your future. And the things that happened in your life, the things that happened to you, do not define what your life has to be moving forward whatsoever. But we have to turn to God. And we have to invite Jesus in to do the things that we are incapable of doing ourselves. We need to get forgiveness. We need to seek help. We need to get prayer. We need to get support and know that, again, your past does not define your future. On the flip side of this coin, if you've been um, ultra-religious towards people on this topic, you need to ask for forgiveness. And you need to ask for God to give you his heart. Because instead of blowing people up on social media and, uh, and, and some of the, and I have, actually haven't seen a whole lot of this in recent years, but in maybe during the 90s, there was a lot of really ugly pro-life demonstrations that used to happen. And I think, there, I think a lot of that was wildly inappropriate um, because it made a point, but it removed the heart of God from the point that was being made. 
We have to be active, we have to be verbal, we have to be engaged, but we need to do so through a way that honors God while at the same time brings truth to people who need to hear it. Um, we have to turn our lives to live for God. That's just plain and simple. All, all that is is repentance, and that's something that we all have to do. Repentance is not, hey, you turn or burn. You know, it's not, repentance is a beautiful invitation from God that, that where he sees that we're going in the wrong direction and he wants to save our life. But he's not gonna just grab us and force us but he, I mean, he spares no expense and no scenario by getting our attention to say, hey, 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 where you're, where you're headed is destruction. I want you to follow me. Because if you follow me, I'm gonna lead you to a place of life, of life. And lastly, I really do believe with all my heart that we need to use, you need to use your sphere of influence to be pro-life. And again, let me reiterate this again. This is not a Republican or Democrat issue. Um, there are plenty of people who claim to be pro-life that don't actually exhibit that in how they actually live the rest of their life. Uh, and there's a lot of people who consider themselves to be pro-choice that um, having, having been presented with this kind of evidence are like, wait a minute, no, I don't, that's, that's not what I wanna be aligned with at all. Um, we, but we need to use our, our voice. We need to be kind. We need to not just be shouting down on people. We need to be listening to others. People have a story and the story is valid and needs to be heard. Um, we need to have dialogues. We need to make less points. Um, we need to be faithful. We need to be patient with those that are not there yet because that's okay. How many times has God been patient with you when you weren't there, when he was trying to do something in your life, but you were just being stubborn? God is patient, slow to anger, abounding in love. But we need to continue to speak truth in love. That doesn't mean you smack somebody and tell them you love them. We need to get God's heart for speaking truth in love. Uh, we need to defend the life of the unborn. We need to be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. And we need to hear, guess what? Because if less people are having abortions, but still maybe don't want to have that child, what does that mean? That means we need other people who are gonna step up and say, I'll take that child. Pro-life is an exclusive term that means what it means about the topic of abortion. But we gotta understand that if we're gonna be successful here, man, a bunch of us are gonna need to start opening up our homes, opening up our lives, or finding those who are and figure out how to support them. Um, we need to, um, let me take this one step further and this is where I'll pray. We need, to, um, we need to get people in office who are not just going to say that they are pro-life, this is important, but who will also look at the things that are keeping people from being able to adopt. Like, oh, doesn't everyone have $50,000? Um, we, the, the business of adoption needs to be crazy regulated because, well, well, that keeps bad people from it. Well, no, there's, there's tons of really, really amazing people who want children and who want to add children to their family, but they can't afford it. Um, there are three times as many pregnancy crisis centers in our nation than there are abortion clinics, yet 17, only 17% 17 of them receive actual funding from the government while billions and billions of federal dollars and state dollars are being like water over Niagara funded into, into abortion clinics and facilities. Um, so I say, hey, there's a great opportunity for the church to rise up and, uh, and do the thing that the church has done throughout history. No one has been more supportive, not just of pro-life, but also helping people with families than the church has been over history. And, uh, and it's our time to shine as well. So um, I think we've got a slide for resources. Let's put that up and keep that one up there for the remainder of the time. Um, here, here's my last verse, and then we're gonna pray. Uh, we have to understand something. Um, this is super important. Ephesians chapter six, it says, be strong in the Lord 
and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies, hear me, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. People are never gonna be our enemy. They can't be. Will people manifest the, the, the methods and the vision and the plans of the enemy? Yeah, but we gotta remember that those who would be opposed against us still carry the image of God. And our heart must always be that they know Jesus and that they know the love of God. And we're in knowing, giving them truth doesn't mean that we're not showing them the love of God. There, there's a balance in there that we do, we'll have to wrestle with. And, and it's okay, like I, I'm, I'll be the first to tell you that there are times when I'm presenting truth to people that I, I'm not successful in the love component. And then there have been times in my life where I've thought I was being really successful demonstrating love and empathy, and I was totally blowing it when it came to truth. That's the wrestle match of being a human that loves God and loves people. Have grace for yourselves and have grace for others as well, because sometimes you'll nail it, sometimes we won't. Um, but we have to get this right. Um, we have to say enough is enough. There's enough uh, of generations who have had their purpose and their destiny stolen from them. And, um, and we don't need to be the people who are trying to enact justice. God is a God of justice. He'll, he'll get justice. Our job is to, is to love people and bring them to a place of freedom where they can get healing and where we can see transformation happen in our nation. Um, hot topic number one, y'all do okay? Yeah. All right, so listen. So we're, we need to pray. We need to pray right now. And my first focus of prayer is that um, in, in no way are we gonna say, um, if, if this message identifies you know, a choice that you made at some point, stand up, raise your hand, we're not gonna do that. Um, but what I am gonna do is I'm gonna pray right now. And, and whether you've been, uh, this has been your experience or you know somebody, um, or maybe you even encourage somebody to have an abortion or take that step, um, you need to know that, that today is a, is a brand new day. That, that it, maybe it doesn't change the past, but it changes everything from this point moving forward. And uh, we're gonna pray for God to do something amazing in your life and, uh, and to do something amazing using your voice moving forward. Uh, because I do believe that change is coming. And yeah, and please prepare yourself because we, we haven't seen anything yet when it comes to what the enemy is gonna try to do to discourage this or to put fear in people. And uh, just remember when that, plan comes through people, that they're not the enemy. Please remember that. Um, but listen, I'm going to pray for your healing today. And, uh, and afterwards, when Pastor Amy will um, conclude and wrap it up and we'll, we'll leave. Um, but if you need prayer up here in the front, um, people come up for prayer all the time. It doesn't mean that that's what you're coming up for. But please don't leave if you need somebody to stand with you and love you and pray with you in agreement, okay? Father, we love you so much. And today we just thank you, Lord, that in every aspect of our life, you're able to confront us and to bring truth. And, and your truth has a purpose and your purpose is always life and freedom and relationship with you, Father. And so we pray today, Lord, that on this topic of abortion, Lord, it's, it is a hot topic, maybe the hottest of all topics. But Father, we pray, Lord, that today for those who would be, have been, uh, who have been wounded by this, they've been hurt, either through being a part of it or being associated with it. God, we thank you today that you're not just a God who wants us to, to know that we are forgiven and that we have to deal with those scars, but Lord, that you are a God who heals and restores and redeems. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, but you are so faithful to do. 
and bring healing into our lives. Father, we thank you that your word tells us that even, it doesn't matter what our past is in any scenario, Lord, that you are faithful to save us, that we need salvation, that we cannot, there, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And God, it is by your grace and your mercy and your love that you make salvation available to anyone who calls on your name. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that all we have to do, literally all we have to do is confess that you are God and that you rose from the dead. And Lord, that confession of our heart, that repentance inside of us, that that transformation of belief inside of us brings us from a place of death into a place of life. And so Lord, I pray for anyone who would even need to make that decision today, Lord, that they would choose you, that they would choose repentance, they would choose salvation, they would choose a relationship with you today. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at ConvoChurch. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.